Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to our title sponsor, Jim K. Ford. Thanks to our Patreon members, guys like Jonathan Falcone, Neil Ross, Adam Newton, and Scott Costin. You can support us on Patreon by clicking on the link at SendsNationHockey.com. We're also on YouTube, where you can help the show grow by clicking on the like button and subscribing to the channel. Today on the show, some big life events for the Kachuk boys. Are the Sens in on Mackenzie Weger? What will the Sens do this fall if they don't acquire a top 4D this summer? And how does Ridley Gregg, hardest worker at Sens Development Camp, fit in, if at all, this fall? That's all still ahead here on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast and much more. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Steve. I've, I've been wondering, though, did did uh, Brad Treliving just take away the top trading coup of the off-season trophy away from... Uh, from Pierre here, you know that Matthew Kachuk signing is unbelievable. He gets a nine and a half million dollar a year contract, signs an eight year extension, so he's going to be in the Atlantic Division for the next nine years. The yeah. Kachuks will be colliding. Um, it was uh, quite a deal that went down. So the Calgary Flames get informed by Matthew Kachuk. I guess you, you you at least tip your cap to the fact you know he gave them heads up that you know his game plan was going to be moving on uh, after next year uh, and wanted to test the unrestricted free agency waters. And so that at least let uh, Bradtree living have an opportunity to get something for him. And boy, did he ever, I really mm. thought he was going to be up against it, but uh, he made a deal with the Florida Panthers who immediately re- uh, assigned Kachuk to an extension, but what a windfall they end up getting. Um, Jonathan Huberdeau, the flames receive. They also get Mackenzie Weger. They get a prospect in Cole Schwint and a 2025 conditional first-round draft pick, which is top 10 protected. And uh, Panthers also get a fourth-rounder in that, along with Matthew Kachuk. Let's get your opinion of the deal. Oh, I think Calgary wins it in a landslide. I, I don't even think, Steve, that he, that Calgary has to re-sign both of them. Obviously, if they if they do end up re-signing both of them, they really win it. But I'm if, if they just can manage to sign Huberto, I think they win it, and I don't. I'm not trying to say that Huberto is a better player than Kachuk. I'm, I'm not really comparing that uh, that Huberto directly with Kachuk. I'm saying the fact that he was able to get a player of that quality, um, hundred point scorer, you know, MVP conversation, and and this is what. Not only did you get him, but you got another guy in a damn good top four defenseman, and you got a prospect. Okay, he's he's seventh or eighth best prospect in Florida's system, but you got something else. Like you would have thought it was going to be, you know, a second rounder and a prospect and maybe a bottom six forward or something. But no, he gets a top flight guy and a top flight D and a prospect and a conditional first round pick. I think Calgary wins this trade in a landslide. No doubt about it. Yeah, I think in, I think you have to get something. I think if both guys leave next year, then I'm not as excited about it, obviously. it's It, it really is, in a way, kind of uh, shifting this Kachuk problem a year down the road um, because you've got the same issue now with Huberto and Uyghur. At least, though, you with both guys, you know, you know you have a chance, potentially. Whereas with Kachuk, you knew you did not have a chance to re-sign this guy. But uh, it will be interesting to see how the Flames behave because, you know, if they go out and get a Nazem Kadri, you could make the argument this is a better hockey club than it was last year. So if they if that's the case, they're going to be in the playoff mix. They're not going to want to be selling off at the trade deadline if these guys decide not to resign. I think, you, I mean, the only way they can lose this is if uh, both guys bail um, 
and they get nothing for them, that would uh, that would mean Matthew Kachuk was gone for well one year of those guys, and that's not a very good return unless the Flames go on to win a Stanley Cup for the coming year. Yeah, but I, I just I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, unless unless suddenly Jonathan Huberdeau and, and or Mackenzie Weaker decide they don't like Calgary either. But I mean, these are these are good Canadian boys. Um, I, I think they will they will enjoy playing there as opposed to Godreau and, and Kachuk, who apparently I, all I can think is they didn't enjoy playing in Canada or didn't like playing in Calgary. Uh, maybe it's the wind weather. Maybe it's the Canadian taxes. Uh, Godreau at least Goudreau, Godreau, Johnny Hockey, at least um, <laughs> he he released a statement through the Players' Tribune there and kind of explained himself in an open letter to the fans of Calgary, which all those fans would have to pay for to read on that website, but that's besides the point. But at least there was some sort of an explanation there, a little mea culpa. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, here's a question for you, Steve. Which guy do you think is more seen as a villain by the Calgary Flame fans? Like, does, does Johnny's little explanation kind of mitigate the circumstances around him and it looks like it's Kachuk who like flat out basically said I don't want to play here which guy do you think is a bigger villain in Calgary that's a good question I think it's Goudreau you know they're very similar at the end of the day but we knew for a fact that Goudreau had been offered something like 12 million dollars more than he got in Columbus and I think that's probably why Goudreau would be a little more annoying to Flames fans because he left so much money on the table and he went to a team with absolutely no shot of winning. Whereas with Kachuk, at least he's signing off on a deal with a true contender in the league. Well, I think it's Kachuk. I really do. Do you? I think I think that uh, Goudreau's uh, sort of explanation will will have some effect on people. Like he, he okay, he didn't exactly move right home down the street from family, but he's closer to family. And, and getting flights there is easier. Uh, he's closer that he can drive there. Doesn't have to cross a border to visit them. Like, I, I get where he's coming from with wanting to be closer to family. I agree. Columbus is a little weird and not exactly, like I said, close, as close as can be. I think, but, but Kachuk at least, Kachuk came right out and said it. Like, oh, I'm not going to sign here. In other words, I don't want to be here. Uh, Johnny at least stuck in and negotiated and was thinking about it and was seriously considering it anyway, despite all those other things. I, I tend to believe him. I, I, I believe his his emotional explanation. And I, I think that I think uh, Kachuk makes for the bigger villain. Plus, of course, who doesn't view Matthew Kachuk as a villain anyway? There's 31 <laughs> fan bases in the league that have hated him. <laughs> now, now this now this fan base in Calgary gets to understand what all those other teams felt like. The, the, I, he'll he'll get it tougher because I think the, the type of game that he plays is going to make it easier for fans to root against him and boo him when he's in town. Yeah, that I would agree with for sure. They're both villains yeah. when you get down to it, I think. Um, and then whoever the bigger villain is, well, that's up for debate. Now, how about the defense now? Calgary's got Uyghur, Tanev, Hannafin, Anderson, Shillington, Zadorov. Like, that's a pretty damn good top six or not top six, your six defenseman, that's a pretty good lineup for Daryl Sutter to go to war with next season. That said, again, Uyghur is in the final year of his contract, and if he wants to do the Claude Giroux thing, that's certainly an option. If he wants to come home and play for the Ottawa Senators, that's wide open to him, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's maybe on the Sens' radar because 
He is a right-shot defenseman. He is one of the better defensemen in the game, and he'll be looking for a new deal. If uh, if he wants to, he can make that deal happen sometime in the next 365 days. Yeah, like that it makes me wonder now. Just Calgary actually has defensemen to move now, so is that a team that, that Ottawa should be talking to? Is, an, is a Hannafin a guy who could possibly be on the market there from Calgary? I, I don't know. It, it, it'll depend here in the next uh, little while. We'll see if they sign Uyghur or if Uyghur chooses to sign. Um, otherwise, yeah, he's a guy to keep an eye on next year at the trade deadline. But if there's going to be a deal made now, like maybe it happens this summer and maybe it's maybe it's a Noel Hannafin. I thought when Connor Brown got traded for only a second rounder, I thought there was a big time issue that something was coming down the pipe. You know, second rounder, it's not very much for Connor Brown. But I figured, okay, well, we'll cut uh, Pierre Dorian some slack because, uh, you know, he might need money for something that's happening soon. And, well, TikTok, we're now two weeks out. So, um, not quite two weeks, almost two weeks outside of uh, the start of free agency and uh, still no top forward defenseman here. And I got to thinking, what is the game plan for this team if they don't acquire another top four defenseman this summer, how do you think it plays out? I'm not too confident in either of JBD or um, Lassie Thompson being a top four. I think they both probably max out at a, at a bottom pairing defenseman. So I'm not really sure they, they is it Travis Hamannick then he, he he's in your top four and, and Sanderson and, Zub and Shabbat like is that your top four I'd really like to see it be better than that wouldn't we all like it to be stronger than that are they still talking are they still trying to take to to get a free agent out of Dallas who might want to come here <laughs> although the taxes hmm. would be a lot different to to come from Texas taxes to Ontario taxes Texas taxes that was pretty good hmm. um or or is there a trade in the works are they talking to somebody just uh, or is it an offer sheet to a Noah Dobson do we throw that out there? You know, I, I, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see, but I'm not confident in in JBD or Lassie Thompson or really even in Travis Hymanek being in your top four. I'm not sure that that's the right way to go. What do you think? I guess I'm clear. I think my first game plan, if I'm DJ Smith, and obviously in conference with Pierre Dorian, I think Hammonick would be my first go-to. Oh, yeah. Just because it wasn't that long ago, he was considered one of the top defensemen in the league. If you go back five years, when the Islanders traded him to Calgary, like the Islanders got quite a bit for him. They got a first rounder and two second rounders. And guess who that first rounder ended up being? The aforementioned Noah Dobson, as everything comes full circle. But that's a that, that's a guy who was, not that long ago, considered a, a, a really good defenseman. And he's not 41, he's 31. So there may be more there than we've seen in his time with Ottawa. And at the end of the season, when Pierre Dorian was talking about the season that was, uh, he, he was thrilled with Hamannick in terms of uh, the quality of character he had in the room. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he was quick to point out, he said, trust me, this guy was really hurt when he was playing in Ottawa. Like, you know, so there's a very, you know, if he has a good summer, gets healthy, good summer in the gym, um, maybe, um, you know, maybe he can slide in there and uh, potentially provide balance for either Shabbat or for Sanderson. The question, I guess, the, the lead-up question to that would be, or the follow-up question would be, will, in fact, Sanderson be ready for the top four role? <laughs> we know he's going to be yeah. NHL ready, but he's a rookie at the end of the day, so it, it could be that, you know, maybe a, 
maybe not on this team, but an ideal situation might be a five, six situation for the first few months. What, what do you think there? No, I, I think this is a surefire, true quality NHL rookie who's going to step right in and play and play very well and be in the conversation for the Calder. I think this kid will be in there. No problem. I think the question comes down to, well, I mean, by default or by design, it will be Travis Hamanick if nothing else happens. And I think from, from what DJ has said, you just reminded us here from what DJ has said in the past. I think that the, the coaching staff at least is, is comfortable with it being Travis Hamanick. I don't have a problem with Sanderson. I think everybody's probably comfortable with him there as well. I just think that in a perfect world, um, Travis Hamanick would be better in a five, six, like to up the quality of your players. You've upped the quality of your top six to the point that you're no longer discussing whether it's a Connor Brown or whether it's a Alex Formanton, who's going to be in your top six. You don't even have that conversation anymore because you've got a true top six. Look out. You know, I'd like to see them have a, true wow there's top four there's no question about it these guys belong yeah. there you know and i think that that's that's the last step here that needs to happen i've been wondering if maybe pierre was had a couple you know he's had i'm sure he's had conversations with uh, free agents and with uh teams for trade i'm sure he's had those conversations i wonder if some of those things are hinged or dependent on those teams signing people and what happens with their their salary cap situation after that Right, like if the Islanders go out and get themselves, um, oops, sorry, if the Islanders go out and get themselves uh, Nazem Kadri, what does that do to their situation and their cap situation? And maybe then you can you can make something happen with the Islanders as far as getting a defenseman. If if Dallas doesn't come up with the money or can't make something happen or to sign, uh, help me out. What's a defenseman in Dallas? John Klingberg. Right, right. If they can't sign Klingberg, who do they sign, and what does that do to their cap situation? You know, and, and maybe, and if Klingberg, you give him a couple of weeks, or in this case, it's almost a month now to go find somewhere to go, and maybe circles back around again and talks to Ottawa. I just think that there's a little bit of patience here being shown by the Senators, and it's probably not just because Pierre can't get anything done. It's because other shoes need to drop in other markets until such time as then he can move in and say, "All right, now let's talk." Uh, that that's just my sort of theory on the situation. Yeah, I, and right now with free agency, it's it's tough because you got John Klingberg still sitting there, and he's got lots of options, I'm sure. But it gets thin really quickly after that, as far as the free agent pool. It's well, not yeah, PK. Yeah, that, I was just going to say that PK Subban yeah. is he might be the best right shot defenseman after Klingberg that's left, and that that's not ideal. I don't think anybody's thinking that he's a top four solution, and uh, well, he certainly. Uh, he still certainly takes up the oxygen of a number one defenseman, but I don't, th- I don't think he could be in your top four at this stage of the game. So um, you mentioned Noah Dobson. Do you think he's really an offer sheet candidate? Well, yeah. I mean, you got to structure it properly, right? The, the, the whole problem with this offer sheet stuff is you want to structure it in a way that it doesn't screw up your payroll and in a way that you're not giving up too much to get the guy. But to do that you almost make it too easy for a team to match, which is why I throw out the idea of the Islanders being interested in Nazem Kadri, and then you get a look at what their payroll structure looks like, and then maybe you can swoop in and make an offer. You know what I'm saying? You you, you mm-hmm. get a better handle on what the Islanders are up to and what their cap's at, and then you can kind of tailor your, your offer to Dobson around that. But then we, you know, this whole idea of offer sheets, they happen so rarely, 
Uh, it seems that when they do happen, it's got more to do with people being vindictive than it has to do with trying to build a hockey club. But, you know, I, I don't know how Pierre Dorian feels about them. You know, he's never really been involved with one, so we've never really seen how he how he would handle it. I don't know. Yeah, I can bet you Lou Lamarillo, being as old school as he is, he's probably not a fan of them. But he's probably also wouldn't be if he's a very big guy on loyalty and following the, the club rules and being a part of the program and all that sort of stuff that I could see him just saying, screw you. If somebody signs one of his guys to an offer sheet, he'd say, well, uh, you obviously don't want to be here. Screw you. And not matching. I could see that being part of it, too. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Hockey is so many unwritten rules. <laughs> I think about the game itself, like, you know, the whistle goes and the guy's coming down the wing and it was offside. And so everybody lets up for a second and the guy, you know, fires it into an empty net. If you don't know hockey, you'd probably say, well, so. But if you know hockey, you'd know that could potentially start a bench clearing brawl if somebody did that. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. all these little unwritten rules in the sport of hockey. And just based on how few offer sheets there are, there should be more. And I got to think that it's like part of the GM's code that you don't do that to other GMs. And if you do, whoever you do it to, whatever GM you did it to, he will blackball you and his inner circle of GM friends. He'll be sure that they blackball you as well. I think, I think that that's what it comes down to because, you know, for example, let's use Dobson as our case study here. When you look at the compensations that exist right now, I mean, as long as you're not going over $8.4 million with your offer sheet, like your compensation that you'd be giving up for signing a guy to an offer sheet, it's not that much as long as you don't go above $8.4 because between 6.3 and 8.4, you would owe the team that loses the player you signed a first rounder, a second rounder, and a third rounder. That's not that expensive for a guy, an emerging star in the league like Noah Dobson, who is north of 50 points this year and still so young. Uh, he might be interested in signing an $8.4 million deal and Lou Lamorello might be interested in not signing him to an eight point four million dollar deal. Exactly. Yeah, but could you get him at six five? Could you get him at seven? Do you have to go all the way to eight four? And what's the magic number that makes Lou say no and walk away? You know, does it does it require all the way to eight point four? I just that's the game you play with these whole offer sheet things. And yeah. and as we just said, other than Klingberg and PK Subban and. Um, isn't uh, Mark Stone's uh, brother? He's he's out there. Uh, Michael is it Michael Stone. He's available Stone, yeah. as a right shot D. Uh, I, I mean, I went through a list of teams today and free agents, and I'm not. There's not much else. Did I miss somebody? Is there somebody else that, that we should be looking at? I, I think it comes down to a trade because I don't know that there's not too much. That, that, well, I do know there's not too much there, free agent wise. I just I, I don't see it. And what about the kids? Like you alluded to them for a moment, but I mean, you think about, you've got two, you got two first rounders in Shabbat and Sanderson. We know they're going to be, you know, on the left side in the top four, but you've also got three other guys, you know, we like Hamannick in that role to start it off, but you've got three other first round defensemen who in theory should be arriving about now, right? You've got Eric Brandstrom who wants to play the right side. And uh, we were starting to get a sense of what he can do. But going back, he was the, the fourth best defenseman in the 2017 NHL draft. Then you've got, uh, let's see, in the 2018 draft, 
You had the 10th best defenseman in Jacob Bernard Docker. And in the 2019 draft, you had the seventh best defenseman taken in Lassie Thompson. So this team is rife with first round defensemen. And three of them, again, I mean, I know it takes defensemen a little longer to develop than forwards, but these guys have been around for a while. And they, you know, they, they probably should be in, in the mix. Well, anytime now, at least in a 5-6 role, cracking the NHL lineup. Do you like any of those three guys potentially as your number four defenseman on that right side? Hmm. Well, uh, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe Branstrom with a different team with the increase in high-end skill up front, that maybe he becomes a different type of player, that maybe he he shines a little brighter playing with these high-end guys up front if he gets a chance to show what he can do. So just from that sense alone, I think he's probably ahead of the other two. Plus, of course, he's been here. He's older. His his uh, more games played. Uh, his pedigree, whatever you want to call it. It looks like he's probably the one ahead of the other two. And by all accounts, the other two, Thompson and and JBD, by all accounts, neither one of them is really a top four guy. They're seen as long term five six guys. So uh, to me, I guess it's Branstrom who goes there first. Uh, again, assuming there's no Hamannick and assuming you don't do something with Holden and and uh, Zaitsev and move them around or something, I, it's probably Branstrom has the inside track at, at, at that number four spot, but I don't know that he's the guy to do it either. Like, what, what are you thinking? Which one are you, are you leaning toward? I mean, I like Branstrom. He has his moments. You know, watch his highlight reel. You go, whoa, that guy's got something. Like, sometimes yeah. you think, okay, that guy's got the same puck skill that Shabbat has. But I think... Do you want another non-physical skill guy in there in the top four when you've already got, you know, a guy like Shabbat Sanderson? I don't know. If, I haven't seen enough of him to know what he'll be physically at the NHL level. I know he's got wheels and I, and I know he's got great feet and I know that he can, you know, he does great things with the puck. But in terms of being physical, I'm not sure yet. Um, I'm not sure I want another guy like that in the in the top four. I think of the three kids that we're talking about, the one that looks like he might provide that balance to kind of ride shotgun with a Shabbat or with a Sanderson, Bernard Docker might be that guy. Not particularly physical, but he is steady. He's steady Eddie out there. He's sound positionally on defense. There's still work to do. He's still a bit rough, but he'd be the guy that I might, if I'm looking at top four possibilities on that right side among the young guys, and again, it's not my first choice, uh, I think Hamannick is, it would be Jacob Bernard Docker out of the kids. All right. Well, we'll wait and see. I mean, I, I, I think that Lassie Thompson is probably uh, Bernard Docker may be further along, but I think that Lassie Thompson has a higher ceiling. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, we need to see them play. Like that's the other thing. We yeah. we we saw them play so little that who knows at this point. And and it's not like we're getting glowing reviews of how. You know, this, he's one or two of them are in the talk for top defensemen in the American League or all star spots in the American League. They're just, they're just there. They're just guys who just take, eat up some minutes and play. You know, I, I, neither one of them is going to be a superstar. Neither one of them is going to put up any big points or anything. It, it may come down to uh, who they're going to play with and what kind of chemistry they have. Like it may, it may come down to something as simple as that. You know, okay, we're looking for a guy to fill this slot to play beside this guy and give everybody a, a chance in an exhibition game and in the end say, you know what, this guy looked best with him, so that's the way it's going to go. It may come down to that. Right. I'm not making any kind of 
pronouncements about what they're going to be until I see them more in the NHL. I, I, I thought yeah. Thompson, when he came, he, he arrived in, in Ottawa last year. He played 16 games and started out like really well, I thought, but kind of faded. There are moments of, you know, positionally kind of out of place sometimes, but there were moments as well where he skated the puck out of trouble. He had some amazing stretch passes and, and I liked a lot of, of his game. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not prepared to, you know, suggest oh, they're not going to be, you know, point producers or anything. Cause I mean, that's a pretty good season. You know, there's Lassie Thompson in the American hockey league at age, uh, what would he be there? 21. And he had 26 points in 44 games. He had five points in the 16 games he played in Ottawa. So there's 31 points in 60 games, which ain't bad for a defenseman who's emerging in the league. And, uh, and like I say, there were, there were moments where I said, that guy's got something maybe. Um, I, at least I understand why the Sens were so keen on him to take him uh, as early as 19th overall in 2019. So anyway, they have options anyway. Um, it will be interesting to see if Thompson and Jacob Bernard Docker are uh, maybe on the radar come training camp time. You just never know when one of these guys developmentally is going to suddenly show up at camp and go, oh, who's that guy? Oh, yeah, that's oh yeah, we drafted him in the first round. <laughs> then he might suddenly start turning heads. We'll see. Well, we know Sanderson will be in the NHL this fall, and uh, we expect him in the top four. That is if everything goes well with that hand, which seems to be a nagging thing. But he's pleased with how things are coming along. It wasn't good enough that he could take part in the uh, in the development camp about uh, 10 days ago. Sanderson addressed that very thing and uh, how things were going with the hand. Yeah, um, obviously that's my goal, to be ready. Um, I don't want to put on put a timeline on it because I know um, I don't want to disappoint myself if I'm not ready for that but um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with things how things are going with my hand and um, I'm progressing every single day and I'm feeling more comfortable with it it's just kind of you know a matter like you said there's there's a time when I know I'll be 100% but you know right now I'm kind of just focused on the day-to-day stuff so there's Sanderson talking to the media he's uh he's feeling optimistic but uh yeah we, you'd like to see him publicly showing up without you know that cast still it just seems to be lingering yeah. but he's happy with how it's going so there's no reason to think that he's not going to be ready for the for the fall we're still at least uh almost two and a half months before camp starts stepped on Ugh. think about that yeah. eh? yeah that could have been scary that's good yeah, that's yeah you know, guillotine to the wrist thank you for that <laughs> that's awesome all right time to do a little business here and ladies and gentlemen if you're thinking about a nice used vehicle for the summer maybe a little uncertain about it you want to make a smart choice well, Jim K. Ford, our title sponsor, removes all of your worries, and we hope we'll give them a shot. Jim K. Ford is your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. How about a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage? Full history report of the vehicle, purchase financing rates 1.99%, 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. That's peace of mind. Check out jimkford.com, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. Ridley Gregg at that same camp was named the hardest working Ottawa Senator at development camp. And uh, that got me kind of thinking differently about him when it, when I factored in, you know, Greg has a big time edge to him. And also now we know he's a hard worker. Is that a guy that maybe has a chance to make the team this fall? Because we know he's not going to be in the top six. Do you think there's a chance he makes the team as a bottom six guy? Now that you know what a hard worker he is and, and that he can play with edge, obviously. Yeah, I, th- I think the question comes down to um, can you have or would you have, would you like to have both Pinto and Greg in your lineup every night? Do you want those uh, like two younger guys like that? 
the competition really that that's what it is it's pinto it's greg it's watson it's um it's gambrell it's parker kelly and castellick you know there's 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 bodies there there's bodies to choose from it's formanton in that in that bottom six too right so what does it who, who who comes in there what sort of criteria are they looking for does age and experience factor into a coach's decision on on picking the guy for the team do you want a ridley greg maybe being in and out of the lineup or would you rather have him in belleville playing every night maybe even in the two hole in belleville so i i think it comes down to those those are the bigger questions and i it's unfortunate but it's almost a fact of life that it not doesn't necessarily come down to your talent level. In some of these cases, in a bottom six idea, it doesn't necessarily come down to talent. It comes down to attitude, and it comes down to what's best for the player long term. Uh, you know, the, certain players have a bad attitude about being a scratch or not playing a lot, so they make the decision easier for the coach. And yep, just send them to Belleville. Other players have the right attitude, the work ethic that Ridley Gregg obviously has. So then it comes down to what's best for Ridley Gregg long term. And if what's best for Ridley Gregg is to play every night, then he's going to be in Belleville. What, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, there's also a there's also a hockey and money component to to that. You have that entry level slide that happens mm-hmm. if he doesn't come to the NHL right now and he plays in the minors for a couple of years. You know, I, I've often thought of that. Be you know, is it okay? You can be in the NHL, but uh, I mean, wouldn't you like to? You know, like Tim Stutzley in hindsight now, he's obviously been really good in the NHL in his first two years. But if you know. If he'd spent a couple of years in Belleville rather than blowing off two years of his uh, entry level steam in the NHL the last two years, then, uh, you know, you'd have him at a bargain all the longer. Um, but I, I look at uh, a guy like Ridley Gregg, you don't know what's going to happen with the Brinkett. Uh, you don't know what's long term is going to happen with Claude Giroux. You know, here in the next two, three years, if he's arriving in the NHL um, and has gotten the important minutes and power play time and really comes to the NHL, with some swagger, it's uh, it makes sense to kind of stagger things, even if Ridley Gregg is capable of playing in the NHL right now. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That all those things factor into it, right? And that yep. the biggest one that you mentioned there is the burning off of a year of a year of a contract. Good point. Speaking of Tim Stutzla, he'll be in the mix this year, and I use that as just a off the top of my head example. I've obviously would have been disappointed if he wasn't in the NHL the last two years because it well the Sens might have been unwatchable. Without Tim Stutzla around, <laughs> and what and what um, did the pandemic? How did the pandemic factor into Tim Stutzla playing in Ottawa versus Belleville too? Who knows? Right, exactly. So I wanted to ask the question. Now that you have a pretty damn good top six, I think probably top ten in the NHL. Who do you think is going to be the leading scorer out of that very talented core? I think it comes down to Norris or Stutzla. I I really do. I think they're the the top two guys down the middle, I think it will depend on on power play. And if it ends up being Norris playing on the number one unit on that right side with his left shot one tee, then I think just the power play points alone, he ends up being the number one guy. I'm going to go to Brinkett just because uh, we know what he is. There's no guesswork there. He's going to have a fine season. And so I'll, I'll roll the bones with the guy who is, uh, you know, who's been a top 25 to 30 scorer in the NHL. Uh, whereas the other guys aspire to that. And uh, so to break it is the guy I would choose at this stage of the game. Let's close it out today with a great trivia trivia question. You came across this week from Ian Mendez, who is hopefully going to join us on the show next week. Nice. But he had a great trivia question. I love this. If the listeners haven't heard this, they should. 
Yeah, it was in Ian's uh, mailbag this week. He's, he does a mailbag every week now for his athletic column. And uh, a, a reader wrote in and asked him, now that Victor Mete is going to be playing with the Leafs, how many other players in the history of the NHL have all played or have played for each of Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa over the course of their careers? And surprisingly, um, uh, the Senators now 30 years old have had 380 players uh, play a game for them. Three guys, Victor Mete being the third, have played with the Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa. So really only two other guys up to this point have ever played for all three of those teams. And you you got one of them right off the bat, didn't you? Well, I needed some clues. I, I, won't, uh, I won't lie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Ron Hainsey popped to mind immediately. And uh, I did not get the other one who was even more recent than Ron Hainsey. But uh, that's an amazing stat that only three guys have done that. And, uh, well... The third guy, yeah, he played for Ottawa, but it was a cup of coffee. <laughs> and not a, a very good one. With the Leafs. And a cup of coffee with the Leafs, too. Didn't play for them very much either. True. But what, yeah. what was a first-round draft choice? Alex Galchenyuk, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's close it out there. Don't forget our website is SendsNationHockey.com. All kinds of cool stuff there. And uh, thank you very much for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate it a lot. And uh, we'll talk to you in our next episode. Greg, have a good week. We'll talk soon. For sure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com. Hockey.com.